Welcome to The Oracle, a podcast for wild feminine wisdom channeled from the deep. I'm your host, Miriam Rupschitz, creatrix of Moonbody. I'm a guide for women sharing body-based teachings on the feminine. The Oracle brings you podcasts on womb wisdom, sacred sexuality, embodiment, and the women's mysteries. My prayer is that these conversations with my coven enrich, ignite, and inspire your relationship to the sacred feminine for a life of magic, pleasure, and power. Hi listeners, friends of the podcast. I'm just walking through a field of cows on a very heavenly evening here in Somerset, pre-sunset. It's so gorgeous. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. I live on the Somerset levels a few miles from the tour, Glastonbury tour that is. (laughs) I had a funny experience recently with an American friend who came to stay and I was saying, we can go to the tour. And she didn't know what the tour was, or maybe she did, but she was confused. And she thought, I meant we can go on a tour. And there was some amusing back and forth about that. (laughs) I need to get her on the podcast so maybe she can tell you herself one day. Anyway, I want to welcome you to episode nine, The Feminine Spiritual Path, just traversing a precarious gate. And we speak about a lot of interesting things. I say we, it's me. (laughs) I speak about a lot of interesting things. I hope you find them interesting, I do. Um, I'll also share a fair bit of my personal experience around Eastern spiritual traditions and some of the ways that they are not entirely made for women and women's bodies. Um, I talk about being a... 25-year-old reading The Power of Now. (laughs) And yeah, a lot of information about this path of coming back to the body as the core of our practice, specifically the womb and the rites of passage which occur at the womb space for women. I hope you enjoy it. I've noticed that I have five stars, five-star rating of the Oracle podcast, which is so kind. I'm not sure which kind humans have been out there giving me five stars, but thank you so much. If you enjoy the podcast, do share, do leave a little rating um, wherever you can. I so appreciate it. And most of all, I hope you enjoy. If you really enjoy episodes, you're so welcome to let me know. Send me a little DM. You know my Insta, it's at moon underscore body. And yeah, that's a great place to follow me, to see what I'm up to and see all the beautiful offerings that I usually have going on. So loves, enjoy the podcast and sending you lots of love. Be well. Hope you're enjoying this little descent, this little period between late summer and early autumn. I find it so divine. I just want to be outside with the pigeons and the hawthorns. (laughs) All right, loves, take care. Goodbye. Hello, beautiful people. 
and welcome to episode nine of the Oracle podcast. This is your host, Miriam Rupschitz. You may know me on Instagram as Moonbody, but my name is Miriam. <laughs> it's really funny when sometimes people call me Moonbody, you know, and this is a name that just came to me, must be in like 2015 when I started Moonbody. Um, and my thinking behind this name was my work is around the womb, obviously. The womb is almost the focal point of my work in the world. And it's my understanding that the womb for women is our center. I mean, it's not just my understanding, that is the reality. Um, what I mean by that is our womb space is an incredibly vital organ in all aspects of our life. It's obviously very important on the physical level in terms of our periods, in terms of our fertility. And actually, there's something called the infradian rhythm that you may have heard me speak about before. And this is the secondary rhythm that runs in the female body. So the first is the circadian rhythm. And obviously men have a circadian rhythm as well, but they don't have wombs. That may be a controversial idea for some people listening. <laughs> and so men don't have an infradian rhythm. And in fact, the infradian rhythm is a, a fairly new scientific medical phrase because, yeah, for ages, women's bodies, women's realities have been understudied. For example, lots of clinical trials in the past would test uh, medicines and drugs on men and kind of assume that that meant that they were okay for women. And that's actually caused, I mean, actually it's, it's caused death. It's also just caused a lot of issues and inconvenience for women over the years who have been prescribed medication that hasn't been tested on women. So there's this idea of women being small men, you know, men without wombs. This is where Jermaine Greer's book, The Female Eunuch, it's why it's called that. It's the idea that, you know, women are castrated men, which is obviously not true. So we have something called the infradian rhythm, and this is due to the presence of our womb. So our womb isn't just causing menstruation and allowing us to be pregnant and give birth. It's also affecting really key processes in the body. It's affecting our stress response, our metabolism, our brain function, obviously our hormones. And then there's another one that I always forget. <laughs> if you've been in a workshop with me, I usually manage to do five and forget the sixth one. Let me get back to you on that. <laughs> so as women, we have these beautiful opportunities to become initiated into different rites of passage. And this happens for us women on the level of the body. You may have heard this saying before, and I can't remember 
who it's attributed to or whether it even is attributed to any one person. If anyone knows this, let me know. There's a saying that whereas men in the days of the tribe would have to go off and, you know, go on vision quest or whatever they used to do to be initiated through their rites of passage into manhood or into, you know, whichever life phase they were moving into. For women, it was occurring organically through the womb space and through the processes that happen at the level of the womb. So going from girlhood into womanhood with menstruation and then perhaps going into motherhood with pregnancy and birth and then passing into cronehood through menopause. Although now that women live longer, we don't go from menopause into crone. We have a whole other phase. And I like to borrow the term of Jane Hardwick Collings, who's a wonderful woman, wise woman teacher. And she calls this this archetype the maga or the autumn woman. So as women, we have these initiations that are occurring organically in our bodies. We don't have to go anywhere. They're just happening. We don't have to be taught them. Our body is doing them by itself. And we don't really have to be led through these initiations. Although, of course, a beautiful thing that many women my age haven't really experienced, and of course women older than me certainly may not have experienced either, is being supported, being midwifed through these rites of passage by older and wiser women. And I think nowadays we're more aware of this. We're seeing more and more mothers giving their daughters these ceremonial blessings as they start to bleed and we are remembering to do mother blessings for women who are about to have babies things like this we're becoming more aware of this and it's fucking gorgeous really gives me I have tears in my eyes just thinking about all that yeah, just how is that going to change at these newer generations and these babies being born to mothers who felt like they were being honoured and seen and witnessed as they moved through these initiations. And this is what brings me to the title of this episode, The Feminine Spiritual Path. The Feminine Spiritual Path, to me, is what I have just described. It's that there is this organic unfoldment that is deeply connected to earth and her cycles and how our bodies as women are these mirrors of the earth and the earth cycles. For example, we're going into autumn at the moment and I'm in my autumn or luteal phase and there's this beautiful kind of magical mirroring going on as I'm seeing the earth around me start to pull me into this more inward facing phase. And then the same thing is happening in my luteal phase. So this is also the phase of the wild woman archetype if we're working with the menstrual medicine wheel. So for me, the feminine spiritual path is something that does not require external leading and it certainly doesn't include any of these 
insane ways of organized religion that are often deeply shaming and centered around, in some cases, like in patriarchal Christianity, centered around sin. Uh, you know, I was brought up completely outside of Christianity, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. I was raised by a Jew and an atheist. And whilst Judaism is by no means a perfect religion in any way, it differs a lot from the kind of Christianity that permeates a lot of the Western world. I was brought up in England. So something that my upbringing afforded me was this ability to be outside of this Christian industrial complex and to therefore see a lot of the patterns that are deeply embedded into the people of England and Ireland and Scotland and Wales. Even the people who don't think that of themselves as Christian will have absorbed a lot of this programming around sin. <laughs> I'm just thinking of going to school and <laughs> I didn't know who Jesus was and I we were singing a song about Jesus because I went to a, a Christian school and I remember asking one of my parents who is Jesus cheese Jesus <laughs> that was my introduction to Jesus and I always just found it quite perverse even from a young age and now as somebody who is older and is interested in the ways that these religions have taken, you know, pre-Christian ideas and myths and symbolism and twisted and perverted so much of it and distorted it into something that it never was intended to be. So this very concept of sin is something that is completely unproductive and counterintuitive to any intention for human beings to be well and sane. It asks us to imagine that we're being constantly judged and perceived by an invisible, vengeful, angry man in the sky who is reading our thoughts and who is looking down on us unfavorably. It's a strange kind of voyeurism and a strange kind of second guessing of oneself and one's thought crimes that goes on in this kind of sin-based Christian teaching. I recently offered a workshop called Unearthing the Goddess that goes into a lot of what I've just spoken about. Uh, it's available, I think it's £33, so it's quite affordable and it's available to buy and watch as a replay and it's yours to keep forever once you've bought it. It's about three hours long and I go into quite a lot of detail around how the goddess has been buried, <laughs> obviously, hence the title. The goddess was deliberately buried. So I track the history of the original deity that human beings worship, which was the mother goddess. And we see her in all these beautiful Paleolithic and Neolithic carvings and statuettes. And I also speak about the 
there's so many beautiful intersecting theories here about all of this information. But one of the things that feels most interesting to me is the way that when Maria Gimbutas, who is an archaeologist, was discovering that there were thousands, I think she found 30,000 of these statuettes throughout Europe, and she was unearthing this ancient goddess spirituality that had been, you know, prevalent throughout ancient Europe for thousands of years. And that in her research, she kept being dissuaded away from all the hypotheses that we have now um, managed to prove. There has been some kind of genetic testing, excuse me, carbon dating, I mean, of some of the uh, relics that have proved that her theory was correct. And at the time, it was a lot of male historians and archaeologists and anthropologists who were telling her that she was incorrect because her theories were really controversial. They completely rocked a lot of the ideas that were that formed the, the historical canon and the archaeological canon and, and the idea of the historical and prehistorical timeline. So this is to say that our ancestors worshipped the goddess as the primary deity. We didn't have this angry, angry bearded man, this angry Santa Claus in the sky. And then later on, the goddess was given a consort. But first, the goddess, our primary deity, was distinctly feminine in nature. And this makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because we all come from a mother. Every single one of us came through the womb of a woman. And it makes sense that the woman, or the goddess isn't a woman, is she? She's a, she's a, a deification of woman. It makes perfect sense that goddess gave birth to the universe, that this would be the story. So in this, we're touching on what I like to call the feminine spiritual path. We're seeing how the ideas and beliefs of our ancestors mirror what is going on in the body of woman. So if woman's body is the microcosm, it's cyclical, it's seasonal, it gives birth, it also passes through the symbolic death of menstruation and the symbolic death of winter is aligned with this void of menstruation, this space of retreat and rest and the follicular phase is mirrored with the spring phase, this phase of regeneration and newness and ovulation with summer, and luteal phase with autumn. There's this incredible, yeah, this beautiful symmetry between these things. And, you know, it's never perfect. It's never, there are no straight lines here, and there don't need to be any either. It's, everything is a circle in this path. The feminine spiritual path does not require any sin or any fear it also doesn't require transcendence. There is no thing too 
transcend, to go beyond. There is none of this idea that we see in a lot of the more masculine spiritual traditions that are based on escaping the body, escaping the flesh as this house of sin or this house of decay. And we see these ideas obviously in Christianity and I I like to call it patriarchal Christianity because it's my understanding that the original teachings of Christ are actually around love and kinship and are something rather beautiful that do not have anything to do with the kind of Romanized patriarchal Christianity that was quite violent and homophobic and etc etc all the things that in my opinion go against human decency and well-being and sanity and then there's another thread to this as well that many of us who are born into these cultures that do not have a lot of their embodied spiritual traditions intact So, for example, being born in England, (laughs) where are the embodied spiritual traditions? There aren't any, really. When I think of, imagine if I was born um, in the Amazon. There are songs, there are ceremonies, there are traditions, there are special foods and medicines and a, you know, pre-colonial language. There are so many elements of these embodied spiritual traditions that are just part of life for many people. And of course, not everyone. There are places in the Amazon that don't have these things, places that have been hurt by colonialism. So what happens is a lot of us go seeking in the Eastern traditions and My history with this is that I started to read Alan Watts when I was a teenager and started to become very interested in Zen Buddhism and started to sit Zazen and meditate. And through there, I found the yoga practice and started to practice yoga asana and the mantra and the other elements of yoga as well, the philosophy and the pranayama, all the pieces of the yogic tradition I fell in love with. And whilst zazen and yoga and many other of the traditions where you are sitting and you are still, obviously in yoga you are moving, but you are attempting to cultivate one-pointedness and there is this idea of attaining samadhi or enlightenment or nirvana and I want to be clear that I'm not trying to, it would be very silly to be trying to critique Zen Buddhism. That is not what I'm attempting to do at all. What I'm suggesting is that for women, when we adopt spiritual practices that ask us to leave the body, that don't fully include the body in the practice, that we may start to feel disconnected from our bodies in a way that is not 
going to serve us in the long run. I had a really interesting experience with this as a young woman, youngish woman. I think I was in my mid-twenties and I was had been practicing yoga for many years and meditation and I had started to do long silent retreats and lots of very positive things happened from my practice and and there were some things that were also not particularly supportive to me as a woman as a cyclic being so one example that's just come to my mind is I remember I was in India and I was studying with my teachers there and I was also at the same time I had been around lots of young spiritual seekers and had been recommended one of the classic new age spiritual books can you guess what it is I'm sure you can (laughs) it's Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now and you know now most of us will be aware that this is it's quite a cliched new age spiritual book at the time I didn't know that and I decided to read it and I read it all very quickly And what happened to me was, and I was studying at the time Advaita Vedanta, non-duality, and that combined with the power of now, it had this experience of me, how can I describe it? I kind of flipped outside of myself. (laughs) I'm not sure whether that will make sense to everybody, but um, to some I think it will. I started to go into a different state of consciousness where I was taking the power of now practice to the extreme and the non-duality ideas to the extreme. And it created this very surreal and very disembodied state for me where I was kind of just floating around in a dream world. And in a sense, it was kind of magical. And I don't regret this experience, but I just think if I had a daughter who, or a child, or even when I think about my little nephews, some younger person who perhaps looked up to me, I wouldn't want them to be doing that by themselves in India. It's not the, it's not the wisest thing to be doing, especially for women. And by that, I mean that I put myself in a lot of situations where, yeah, I was in some form of danger. I had a lot of near misses at that time of of various things, of being very close to being at the mercy of unsafe men and unsafe people. And, and this is where the question of crazy wisdom versus being crazy comes up. And it's a question I think of often where... I believe it's in Tibetan Buddhism that they have what's known as crazy wisdom where things that seem not particularly wise, they have some level of of wisdom and genius to it. And in a a sense, this goes with the kind of non-dual ideas of going beyond binaries, going beyond judgments and this is right and this is wrong. And at the same time, when I think about a lot of the cultic beliefs that exist in the New Age community, there is absolutely sheer craziness. 
And very often that sheer craziness of the cultic view, the cultic mindset hides in the world as crazy wisdom. It sells itself to people as crazy wisdom. And people who are seeking thrills or seeking mystery or excitement or change, it draws them in. And and this is what I mean with this this state of being flipped out of myself where, okay, if there's no right and no wrong and no good and no bad, then it's just carnage. It's just a free-for-all. It's just nothing matters. It's just, I can do whatever I want and it doesn't matter. I don't have to self-reflect, which is, in I'm not suggesting this is a, a wise application of Advaita Vedanta. Please know that. Um, it's a very complex spiritual system that there's a lot more to it than there's no right and wrong. It's a very oversimplified and a very Western um, way of trying to explain it to you. I remember one of my teachers, my Ayurveda teachers, told me once, the Western mind cannot grasp Ayurveda fully because it always wants to split things in two. And it always wants to learn by lines. And that is not how the Indian mind works. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. So coming back to what I was saying about the power of now (laughs) and about this kind of spiritual practice that takes women out of their bodies. As women, we are so connected to our body through our wombs, through the processes that are occurring in our bodies every month. You know, a lot of us focus on the bleed or the ovulation. It is a whole 28 or however long your cycle is. Mine's actually more like 30 usually. A whole 28 slash 30 day cycle is going on. And all of the stages of the cycle are important. And going back to something I said earlier, you can't it doesn't split perfectly into four quarters. You know, it doesn't go follicular. Yep. Okay. Ovulation. Yep. Okay. Luteal. Yep. Okay. It doesn't work like that. We need to apply some of what my Ayurveda teacher was trying to tell me that, you know, in this liminal world of the womb, there are no lines. So I have seen in my own experience and through the experience of friends and through the experience of clients, what can happen when we as women adapt these more linear or masculine spiritual approaches? One of them, the first one is that we can get very disconnected from our bodies. And this has various knock-on effects. One of them is it can make us, uh, in the Chinese medical or Ayurvedic sense, very dry. And by this I mean brittle and cold and lacking in moisture. And, you know, this would be um, vata dosha in excess or in imbalance. And of course, this has repercussions on our menstruation. So when women are disconnected from their bodies, very often this will express itself through various dysfunctions in our menstrual cycle, whether it's, you know, difficult periods or missing periods or PMS or, you know, any of the various things that can occur 
around the womb space. When we start to live away from our center, the womb, we are going off track. We have lost our North Star. We're following something that is not at the core of who we are. And many people would disagree with this. I'm sure there may be some people who have beautiful yoga and meditation practices who are feeling a little bit, that doesn't apply to me. And there are absolutely, I have a yoga and a meditation practice. There are ways that we can bring these wonderful spiritual traditions onto the feminine spiritual path. It's more that when we eschew the body, then we go off course and then we start to experience these various dysfunctions. So instead of being drawn away from the body, the feminine spiritual path says, let's go all the way into the body. The body is the oracle. The body is the practice. The body is the manifestation of the goddess. The body is the fruit of the earth. And we can close the Bible. Hopefully no one has an open Bible <laughs> near them. But where is the Bible and a lot of spiritual texts are telling us that the body is sinful and that the body is, as is in the case of Eve, the source of temptation, the source of sin. The feminine spiritual path says you don't need a guru, you don't need a god in the sky who punishes you for being human. You don't need to be a part of any kind of abusive, cultic paradigm that asks you to listen to these very sick ideas that have come from unwell men. It says you have everything you need. You have this living spiritual lineage alive in your body right now. And you can put your hands on your womb. Maybe, listeners, you would like to put your hands on your womb. And you can feel your heart beating. And you can feel your breath moving. And you can remember that this, once upon a time, a long time ago, this womb, this pussy, these breasts were worshipped. And I don't just mean the body parts, I mean woman was worshipped as the embodiment of the goddess. So what if your spiritual practice was to fully inhabit your body, to feel your feelings, to digest your feelings, to let your emotional body feel its full range and to let those emotions be little doors into other states of consciousness, whether it's rapturous pleasure or profound grief or the deepest love or sacred rage. What if your daily practice revolved around your body, stretching, moving, walking, dancing, something that offers health through this celebration of you having this body, 
using your body as a prayer, this full body prayer, and then enjoying your body, making love, receiving and giving affection, being kind to yourself, practices that are really core to my work, like breast massage and internal pussy work, practices like yoga nidra, where we are lying down on the earth and going into this liminal place where we're not asleep and we're not awake and we're touching this delicate void space, interacting with the earth body as the extension of your body. I've just been out today in the hedges where I spend a lot of my time with the nettles and the hawthorns and the roses and the elderberries and the blackberries and the rose hips and the birds and the sheep and the cows, all of these animal and plant allies and ancestors communicating with me, singing to the hawthorns. And then from the hawthorns, I'm creating a beautiful tonic for my heart and the hearts of my community. So there's this beautiful interaction going on that I'm approaching very consciously. This kindness, this reciprocity with the world around me. This is a prayer and a practice and it gives me so much and it gives so much to the other beings who are involved in this relationship. So the feminine spiritual path asks us, instead of attempting to transcend the body and to transcend the material reality and to go off through the crown, right, through the higher centers, the more noble centers, as we are often told, the feminine spiritual path says, no, let's go down into the root into the sex, into the womb, into the blood, into the shit, to restore our presence in our lower body, to really live there at this level, this visceral level of aliveness that is very close to death. The lower body, especially for women, is a place of life and a place of death. The cervix is often known as the dark goddess because she is the guardian of the gate of life and death. Our monthly blood is the symbolic death. Any pregnancies that come too soon or are deliberately released, there she is the guardian of death. And when pregnancies result in a beautiful little baby, there is life. So we hold life and death very close to each other at this part of the body. We receive our lovers into this part of ourselves, into our wombs. And then not far from that, we return all this composted fuel and food and nourishment into a substance that is quite taboo. Poo is taboo. (laughs) 
So there's so much going on here that we have been taught to dissociate from. A lot of shame and sin is involved with this area of the body. I remember speaking years ago to a very talented um, myofascial therapist who said that he worked a lot with men who had issues with their groin and their testicles and their penis and their anus. A lot of the this area of the body was causing them a lot of trouble and he believed that a lot of it comes from nappies as little boys and also the kind of shaming that happens you know inadvertently and accidentally from parents transferring this association of the lower body with shame onto their kids so you know I have two little nephews, sometimes I change them. And changing babies all day is a lot of work. And it can be almost this, oh, of course, I don't bring this energy. I'm very conscious not to, but this almost, oh, you've inconvenienced me. Oh, I have to change you now. Oh, there's poo everywhere, you know. This energy transferring that, this kind of shame, this association of this is bad. Your natural bodily functions are bad. And then going into the other side of that, which is, you know, we all know that little boys touch their genitals. Of course, little girls do too. Do they do it more than bo- uh, less than boys? I couldn't say whether that is, whether they do, or whether that is a social thing that we we tell girls off more than boys for doing that. I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you. But I have a theory that because male genitalia is external, that I wouldn't be surprised if men do touch themselves more because of that. And as children, as little boys, it's completely natural and completely healthy, of course, for little boys to touch themselves and to explore that part of their body and to probably I would imagine you have to move it around a little bit because you know there's there's a lot going on there and maybe it gets in a position that doesn't feel quite nice and it needs to be reshuffled anyway going back to what I'm trying to say is these areas of our body are charged with all of these cultural ideas we've absorbed from our society, from our parents, from our institutions that often are connected to don't touch that, that's dirty, whatever it is. And the feminine spiritual path says, come back to all of that and claim it as this beautiful landscape this rich landscape of depth and darkness. The womb is this beautiful space of darkness. The anus is an orgasmic place, a place of immense pleasure. And yet the associations with shame and with dirt mean that many of us aren't really exploring that part of ourselves. I feel that the more that women come back to this living spirituality inside themselves, the more they are turning away from these industries that are 
focused on exploiting them, on making them hate themselves, on cutting themselves open unnecessarily. And the more that they accept themselves in their human form as an extension of the earth, the more that they start to really, in this age of scary AI and body modification, they start to love themselves as they are. And they start to, within this, is this turning away from the patriarchal construct of God, daddy, husband, nothing wrong with husbands or gods or daddies, <laughs> if that's what you're into. But what I'm saying is women are often taught that there should be this male presence that is kind of I don't want to say protecting because protection is a, a beautiful thing to receive to for somebody in your life to make you feel safe. But it's something else, isn't it? It's governance. It's this idea that you're not fully your own and that you need somebody to tell you what to do, whether it's God or your father and then when you leave your father's house, off you go to your husband. This is obviously a very old idea, but it's still, there are still remnants of it in our culture. And I believe that we've replaced perhaps the dad and the husband role with governance, with authoritarian systems, and with not feeling that we are the ones who are responsible for our lives and our choices and that we can do whatever we want. I'd love to invite you, if you're vibing with some of the things that I have shared on this episode, to either check out the Unearthing the Goddess workshop or if you'd like to go deeper, then you could join me for my first ever facilitator training called The Cosmic Feminine. It starts on September 20th and is three months long. For more information, you can go to my website moon-body.com or you can check the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm sending you lots of love from the hedges of Somerset. Somerset.